The foster son, Robert, has come to 221B Baker Street for help in proving his mother's innocence. Although my father was somewhat of a scoundrel, he says, my mother never would have killed him. The game is what? Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, we roll the dice and let the chips fall where they may, in left, center, right. Next, will you back the hack or defend the corporate agenda in Netrunner? And lastly, we follow the clues to see if mystery solving is indeed elementary in 221B Baker Street. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. Hi, I'm Evan Bernstein, and in the infamous words of Joshua, want to play a game? Hi, I'm Ed Povolitis. I ask for ice as impenetrable as a wall. I can't decide if someone down in R&D has a warped sense of humor or just literally minded. Hi, I'm Joe Unfrey. When you've eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be Ed Povolitis. There's nothing more deceptive than an obvious fact. I'm Mike Grenier, and as Eugene the Plague Belford said, there is no right or wrong, just fun and boring. Before we get started, I just wanted to let everybody know about an exclusive episode we've got coming up covering all of our adventures at PAX Unplugged from Philadelphia. We're going to talk about all the great games we saw and all the awesome industry folks we met. And if you'd like access to that episode and more great exclusive content, just go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. Our first game up this week is Left, Center, Right. No designer credit. The version we played was produced by Spin Master Games. Number of players, 3 to 12, ages 5 and up. Runtime, 20 minutes. Mike, what do you think of the game? Well, a fistful of dice is pretty satisfying, but is that enough, though? Evan? This is one of those rare games where the title is also all of the rules. Ed? Many beginning players assume it's best to roll an L, a C, or an R because those roles are highly emphasized in the game's marketing. This is absolutely wrong, and that will lead to defeat if followed to a completion. Ooh, a strategy tactic for this game. Joe, how about you? A lot of people like games that move fast. If you don't think this game is fast enough, well, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> that is true. So anyone who has heard me gushing over Cosmic Wimp Out in an earlier episode already knows I'm a sucker for a dice game in a tube. And this one is a true grab-and-go universal game. It can be played anywhere, at any time, with anyone, in any language, for one minute or one hour. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get started, let me tell you how it's played. Boy, writing a how-to-play description has never been this easy. This game comes with small, poker-style plastic chips and three six-sided dice. Each die has one side that says right, one side that says left, one side with a star, and three sides with a circle. Each player is given three chips to start. When it's their turn, they roll their dice, as many dice as they have chips. For every left that they roll, they pass a chip to the player on their left. For every right they roll, they pass a chip to the player on their right. For every star, they pass it into the center. And for every circle, they do nothing. This continues until only one player has chips left, and they're the winner. That's it. Believe it or not, it's best to roll a lot of circles, so roll well. Like, I've, I've played a game just like this for money before. There is a big gambling following for this game. Instead of using chips, a lot of people use dollar bills. How'd it go for you, Mike? I won. It didn't make it any more of a game, <laughs> but I was happy to get some money. 
What do you do with the money in the center? Does that go to the winner? Or? Winner takes the center pot, too. And actually, being uh, Jewish as I am, it reminded me of dreidel a little bit. Dreidel's, what, 5,000 years old? Right. So, I, mean, <laughs> I would say the concept of this game is pretty old. Um, and it is extremely simple. But I found it to be extremely playable. Uh, my favorite thing about this game is there is literally no setup time. You out come the dice. You explain it to everybody. Once, my kids are eight years old and 10. They're playing it in no time flat. And I have seen so many variations of this game. I mean, as far as mass uh, printings of it, I think they go back to 1983. This game is so popular and so ubiquitous that you could get it pretty much anywhere. Um, I've seen so many different packages for this game (laughs) from the same company. I mean, this game can come in the simple flip top tube that I got it in. I've seen it in blister packs in circular metal tins, in square metal flip-top tins, like the old Sucrets lozenges, in cardboard hanging boxes. I think they just package it with whatever the store says they'd best like to see it in. Is it all the same company that's making it, or is it just not copyrighted? All of the ones that I saw were called left, center, right, and did seem to share the same license. Um, And most of them were done by Spin Master. However, there have been other companies that have printed it as well. And they've been doing it for at least 35 years. Go back to 1983. I was really surprised, Ed, that you were able to come up with a strategy for this game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, believe it or not, you just want to roll. Good. That's it. (laughs) Come on, left, right. Left. Left, that's me. I meant left. Hey, you get to roll one. Oh, wait a second. Or is left Evan? No, no, left is me. How would left be Evan? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Because if you were out, if you were out, and now it's gone in. You shouldn't share that with everybody. You don't want them, like, you know, playing that strategy against you sometime. I actually took that line from uh, someone on Board Game Geek. You had a review <laughs> of the game. Don't be fooled by the fact that left and right are only on there once. You actually want to roll the blanks. Yeah, they're highly marketized, but you really want to roll everything but that. Make sure you roll circles. That's it. Roll circles all day long. You will do got well. It, got it. That's the strategy, man. The odds are in your favor to roll circles. You also want the person on your left to roll right, and you want the person on your right to roll left. So what influence (laughs) do you have over the potential for them to do that? What control could there be? (laughs) But, Mikey, one thing you'll like about this game is it does actually have a mechanic that you really like, and I think that Ed likes too, which is nobody is out until there's a winner. So if you run out of chips... You actually just get to keep playing. If somebody ends up passing you a chip, you're back in until there's only one person left with chips. That's nice that they got rid of the player elimination. Yeah, And the other thing Mikey will love, it's possible the game to go on forever. Yes, in perpetuity. Wow. And ever <laughs> nice. and ever. Yeah. I've played this game a lot and, I, you know, I've never run into a problem where it goes on even too long. It's a pretty short game. It usually is, yeah. And it's fun. It's so simple. Like, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. We were waiting for a late dinner guest to arrive and the kids were getting very antsy. And so I was like, oh, I don't want them drifting away to television. This was the simplest game I could think of to bring out and quickly entertain everybody. Nobody had to pay attention to rules or do anything. They were literally handed dice and told, pass your chip. Start rolling, kid. That sounds like an entertaining activity. Yeah. Not a game, really, yeah, per yeah. se, but uh, 
Well, it was interesting that you compared it to Cosmic Wimpow, because I think in that game, you're, I think there's a little more excitement in the epic role. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And plus, you just press your luck, so you're choosing. Yeah, as soon as you got press your luck, you got choices. Yeah, and there's a lot more going on with Cosmic Wimpow. But to Celeste's point, if there's a moment that either you're in a place you dread or your party you can't get out of, you're stuck for hours waiting in lines with friends to see Star Wars Episode One. <laughs> back in 1999, like some of us were, it's great to have a pocket game like this handy. Right. And and in Cosmic Wimp Out, there, for example, there's a lot you have to pay attention to. And as Evan said, in this game, you just pull it out and you start playing. Lots of people will gladly consider this a game and just the type of game they'd like to play. It, it is a game, loosely. <laughs> <laughs> three-card Monty is more of a game than this. You have a choice to make there of which one of the three cards they're going to steal your money with. I mean, people call war a game. Yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> there is a level of excitement if you're willing to embrace it. And there are ups and downs and the one thing it does have is what every dice game needs, which is the excitement and suspense of what's going to come up. The clickety-clack of three dice in your hand is pretty satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I predicted Mikey was going to hate this game. <laughs> if, it, if I called it a game, I would hate it as a game, but I just call it an activity, and that makes me not so hateful anymore. Okay, it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury left, center, right. Ed, how about you? This game is about as simple and as random as it gets. Roll dice and hope you get to keep your stuff. No brain cells needed. This can be fun at times, but I'd bury it. Joe, how about you? Any game that I can carry around in my pocket without a moment's notice that will keep children entertained for you know five minutes or ten minutes is one that I want to dig up. Evan, how about you? This game is probably the most simplistic I've ever played. Is that enough for me to bury it? <laughs> I say dig it up. I can't ah, I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm such a diceophile. That <laughs> I, I just I'm sorry. Yay, Evan. You'll have to bury me with dice in my grave someday because I'm digging this up. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to work on a game they can play at my funeral. All right, Mike. <laughs> how about you? Well, if you want to fill the empty void of your life with mindless activities, this is a great way to start. Otherwise, bury it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, <laughs> listen, I've already said what it's great for, but honestly, it's a it's a fun dice game. I love dice games. So for that reason alone, I would dig it up. But honestly, it's a great warm-up game for any group of friends you're trying to settle in at a table. So uh, you can find this game literally anywhere. I mean, check your local gas station or your mom's <laughs> junk drawer. It retails yep. for about 7 bucks. And if you have thoughts about left, center, right, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is Android Netrunner. Original design by Richard Garfield. Developed by Lucas Litzinger. Published by Fantasy Flight Games in 2012. Players 2, ages 14 and up. Runtime, 30 to 60 minutes. Joe, what did you think? The game's designed so playing it well doesn't require you to spend untold hours or a ton of money trying to build the perfect deck. 
In this game, your most important decisions happen during play, and they often depend on trying to discern what your opponent intends to do next. Mm, Evan, how about you? Okay, it's confession time on which game first. <laughs> Uh-oh. I have never played Magic the Gathering. <gasps> what? No! no! Are you kidding me? Where is your gamer card? <laughs> Revoked! Someone wake up, Celeste, she fainted. And I've never played Net Netrunner either. Please don't kick me out of the gamers club, please. I can't even. I'm moving on. I cannot even. Mike, go. Get ready for an asymmetrical mano a mano slugfest. Down with the man. Ed, how about you? Hey, listen, I'm not asking you to do anything dangerous. Just let me in the building and tell me which room had the weakest security. And please don't say the bathroom again. <laughs> I fell hard for this game with its super slick cyberpunk panache. Every time I made a run on the corporate firewall, I could feel myself getting cooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but before yeah. we get started, Ed, tell us a little bit about how it's played. Android Netrunner is a two-player living card game set in a dystopian cyberpunk future where monolithic megacorps own and control the vast majority of human interests. They have to guard their intellectual property from the elite, subversive hackers known as Netrunners. The court player has three core servers and may create remote servers to advance agenda or exploit assets, and may install ICE and upgrades to protect these valuable servers from the nefarious hackers. Netrunners get the latest hardware for their rigs and install devious programs so they can steal the corporation's agenda and trash their assets. The heart of the game conflict occurs when the Netrunner runs against a corporate server. The corp may res ice they install to keep out the intruders. And the runner uses icebreakers to get past the defenses, hoping to access the hidden contents of the server. The first player to seven agenda points wins the game. Unless the corporation kills and flatlines the Netrunner. <laughs> <laughs> I love the one-on-one uh, -on -one duel aspect of this game. Um, just like Magic, it is a dueling game, uh, but it has a whole lot more style. I love the fact that not only is it a duel, but you're playing very different roles. Yeah, I, I love that too. This game comes with a extremely rich pre-built world because it's built off of the cyber, already well-developed cyberpunk role-playing game. Yes, it is. Especially the original Netrunner was actually based off the cyberpunk world. They actually licensed the term Netrunner from our Talsonian games. We'll get into the licensing in a little bit because the ending of this uh, game's story is not a happy one as far as I'm concerned. It's not yeah. the end. It's just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Cyberpunk was a role-playing game from the 80s that I played back when I was a youngin. And it is fully fleshed out. So when you start playing this game, it has an entirely rich world. Tons of corporations that you can choose from to play. Uh, quite a few net runners that you could choose from to play. So you get to choose your own character um, or your own corporation, depending on which side you're going to play. So do you want to be with the corporate megalith? Or do you want to be, you know, one of the down with the man net runners? And generally, the, the uh, Netrunner is on offense and the, the corporation is on defense. Mm -hmm. Generally, the yeah. The game was originally designed by Richard Garfield, as you know, of Magic the Gathering fame back in 1996. More importantly, Robo Rally. <laughs> I knew that part. I knew that part. <laughs> so he has a few good games to his credit. 
But uh, Fantasy Flight took this game in 2012 and incorporated this into their Android universe, which is another world that they're developing that has a lot of these identities and corporations you're speaking about. So there's a fusion of the Android and the cyberpunk world. Right. And it's kind of interesting how cyberpunk is not just a reference of the uh, that specific uh, role-playing game, but basically defines the genre nowadays. Definitely. And when they reprinted this game, uh, there was the real battle started at Gen Con when people were buying <laughs> stacks of like three or four copies for their friends back home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the line was like hours long to get it, and it was sold really? out like the first day. Yeah, yeah this game was crazy. bananas at Gen yeah. Con. It was totally the hotness in 2012, yeah. that's for sure. And it was, turns out that would have been a very smart thing to do, considering that the game is no longer uh, being produced. Wizards of the Coast, also known as Watsi, uh, now owns the licensing for Cyberpunk, right, guys? Well, kind of, yes, because we also have to remember that Watsi is actually owned by Hasbro. Right, okay. Hasbro is the megacorp, <laughs> right? I got yeah. it. <laughs> Perfect example of the, the big fish swallowing a smaller fish and then a bigger fish coming along. It kind of yeah. reflects this game a little bit, and I love that about it. Yeah, you think Fantasy Flight Games is one of those big fish, but they've been swallowed up by Asmodee. So yeah. some people have been speculating whether this is some sort of Hadbro versus Asmodee thing. It turns out Fantasy Flight Games no longer could use the licensing, so they can't produce the game anymore. But there, don't worry, guys. There's copies of this game still available. And I think you, it would benefit to having this in your library because um, it was so interesting. A lot of people are comparing it to Magic the Gathering and saying Magic is more accessible. But honestly... I found this game just as accessible, if not more, because as I played Magic the Gathering through the years, the mechanics of the cards became more and more esoteric to me. Some Magic cards I look at and I'm like, what is happening with this card? Whereas <laughs> the Netrunner cards are simple. The complexity, I think, comes from the layout of the game. There's definitely a structure in the game. Yeah, there's more structure. And Magic has one, basically one linear structure where you have your lands and then sort of your battlefield. But in this game, there are different sections where you lay out cards in different spaces. And that, once you get the layout down, I think it's a simpler game to play. I like the, the cat and mouse feel of the game. Oh yeah, it definitely feels that way. I think the Netrunner's weakness is always having enough credits, having enough money to sort of get into the corporation. And I think the corporation's weakness is having too many places to defend. So it's a, it is a cat and mouse game where you're trying to sneak in as the net runner and trying to like cover all your bases as the corporation. Yeah. I mean, because of that, I kind of prefer playing the net runner because you don't need to rely on other people's actions. You're on the offense, but as the, yeah. it's kind of fun also as the corporation though, because you're kind of trying to psych them out with the cards that you place. A lot of them are bluffs and you're hoping that they fall for your bluffs. One of the most wonderful things about it. And the, the excitement for the net runner is that the corporation's cards, many of them that are laid out, protecting the corporation are turned over. So you can't see what it is. So the hacker doesn't know what he's going up against until he actually makes a run on it. Then you flip the card and you find out surprise. It's a horrible, you know, security force or, Oh, it's nothing. I can get right by it. They've tagged you in real life and now their actual corporate goons hunt you down and, and, not just destroy you in the computer, but they actually do meat damage, which is you know, <laughs> shooting you in the face. 
<laughs> I really enjoyed the layout of the game in that it wasn't just a straight line. Oh, here's my monsters. I'm going to battle your monsters. It was different spots. I've got a spot for my hardware. I've got a spot, you know, for my resources. I have a, um, a pile of my clicks, which are credits. Uh, and the corporation has spots that they have, you know, and even like the discard pile has a cool name, you know. The archives. Yeah. Or the heap. That's one of the cool things about playing an asymmetrical game. You know, you have two different experiences, but that are like clashing against each other at the same time. Yeah, I like how also in this game, they have each identity lead to a different style of play. Like there are different corporations and some corporations are about the easy money. Others about doing tricks or others are all about whacking the threats. You're, now you're ready to see some shenanigans on my side? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to add this to my hand. Gain 14 credits. Woo! Sounds awful. And a draw card uh, for my first click. Install, install, install. My two, uh, I played twice against Ed as two different Netrunners, and the games played completely differently from my point of view. I mean, they, they felt completely different. Some are good at bashing through security. Some are good at sneaking around it. Some are good at planting little viruses that have a long-lasting effect later on. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Virus deck. Yeah, that's yeah. my favorite. Yeah. I made that deck. Thank you. Thank uh -huh. you. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like playing the corporation. And one of my favorites from Genteki, because they're the Japanese theme. And they're, I tend to do damage. And their assets are usually trapped for the runner. I think both sides have really interesting aspects to them, and I think that the uniqueness of each character and each corporation really lends to a mindset for each game being different. And, you know, we're always looking to see, does this, does theme inform play? Oh boy, there's, I mean, this, the theme is the play mm -hmm. in this game. Yeah, that is wow. I felt immediately immersed in my character, right down to like, not just what they looked like and what their name was, but really what their identity was. And the different identities come with a pre-constructed deck, too, when you buy the full set. And the decks are pretty good to start with. Like, it's cool that you can splash in different stuff and alter the decks and mess with them to make them more, you know, customized for yourself. But the pre-cons are great. Yeah, there's a lot of fun. And I think that's another thing that's uh, different about this game that, uh, from the original Netrunner. It's in the living card game format, which is very popular with some players who don't care for the collectible card game model, which is, in this case, when you buy a pack, you, you get a set card. You get all the cards. You don't have to get a random pack of cards. Yeah. So Magic yeah. the Gathering is sort of a unwrap and pray kind of game mm -hmm. where you unwrap the yeah, you <laughs> unwrap your cards and hope you get good cards. This game doesn't have that. I think you could buy the cards one at a time online or you, or you could. Yeah, and as Joe was pointing out in Magic, half the time is spent building your deck, which is totally not social. Well, th well this game has also a deck building aspect where it lets you splash in other colors and it gives you a certain amount of points you can spend to do that. So you, you do, you can create your own deck. Um, and I have, and it's a lot of fun, but you don't have to, to be able to enjoy this game. Yeah. One last thing I wanted to mention was whether or not you decide this game is for you, they have the best tutorial I have ever seen online. Just put in Android Netrunner tutorial and the Fantasy Flight version will come up. It's very easy to understand. And the woman who does the narrating has a chillingly corporate accent. <laughs> it, is, it is disturbing. 
yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it and it got me ready to play this game for sure. It's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury Android Netrunner. Joe, how about you? As Litzinger said about his co-designer, Richard Garfield, when everyone else was trying to copy Magic the Gathering, he went out and made a game where cards do not tap and removal is scarce. Some of the best new ideas are that simple. If you like this game's premise at all, dig this up. Evan, how about you? Oh, with the stain of having never once picked up a Magic the Gathering card, it would be the zenith of hypocrisy for me to make any sort of judgment on Android Netrunner. Mike, how about you? Always remember, hacking is more than just a crime, it's a survival trait. Dig this up. Ed, how about you? This is my favorite customizable card game. I played it back in 96 before with the new hotness in 2012. Dig this up before the corporate overlords try to keep the gem from the rebellious hands. <laughs> Good advice. That's right. Even though Megacorp Hasbro looks like they won this time, I've encrypted my copy of Netrunner so I can dig it up and play without them ever knowing. I suggest you do the same. Wow. Ed, where can you find this game? Well, the game is currently out of print. I've seen plenty of copies of the base set and many of its expansions at local game stores and online. The base set retails for about 40 bucks. If you have thoughts about Android Netrunner, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our last game up this week is 221B Baker Street, the Master Detective Game. Published in 1977, that's the version we played, designed by Jay Moriarty. No way. What? Yeah, I kid you <laughs> not. Really? That, that is on the wiki page. That, so, oh, wow. Yep. It's got to be a pen name. <laughs> he changed his name just for this game. <gasps> he might have. Uh, producer was Antler Productions, 1975. Number of players, two to six, ages 10 and up. Runtime, 60 to 90 minutes. Mike, how about you? I have one bit of advice for you. Get a clue. <laughs> Joe, what did you think? Mr. Holmes has undertaken several in-depth studies of the world's great tobacco plants and has even contributed to the literature on the subject. Ed, how about you? I'll just take the carrot to the pub. There's bound to be a clue there after a drink or three. Evan? Ella, what's all this then? Sherlock Holmes, you says? <laughs> right, Evan. <laughs> Blimey, how did all these clues get spread out twixt the pub and the park and the apothecary? Good thing I brought my notebook. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get started, Evan, tell us a little bit about how it's played. <laughs> right, I'll shed the accent for the moment. <clears throat> Put yourself in the shoes of the famous detective Sherlock Holmes. There's a case to be solved, and each player is the Holmes who will crack it wide open. All players are solving the same case. Everyone starts at 221B Baker Street on the map. Movement is decided by the throw of a single die. The case card provides the background of the case, as well as listing the location of each clue in the case booklet. A place may provide no clue or only part of one. Clues may also be entirely irrelevant or can throw a player off. Clues are often in the form of a riddle, especially multi-part clues. Upon entering a location, the player reads the back of the card containing the case. It consists of a list of locations and a number assigned to each one. The player then may secretly read the relevant paragraph in the back of the rule book, which is the clue. Each paragraph may or may not contain evidence of note, and the clue may be cryptic. 
A time limit to read the clue is recommended, after which the book must be closed and play passed to the next player. Once a player believes that they know the solution to the case, they may return to the starting point, and upon returning to 221B Baker Street, the player must announce publicly the essentials of the crime, typically the culprit, the weapon used, and the motive. (laughs) I mean... There was a booklet. A book of clues. I love it. <laughs> so 1970s. So screamed 1970s. So old school. How many old I, games have we played that have had booklets? And the booklet's oh. written pretty well. It is, actually. Yeah. I love the stuff that's in that book. Um, and I love the fact that it's a book of clues that you look to. And I feel like this could be really cool online if, like, to keep the hidden information hidden and quickly access the right clue for yourself without having to look through it. But mm-hmm. something about yeah. the nostalgic old schoolness of it is also awesome. Yeah. And right, I, yeah. I don't think you'll have to fight Megacorp Hasbro for the licensing on this one, Mike, <laughs> if you'd like to go for it. Oh, man. <laughs> Actually, who does own this game now? Nobody? <laughs> well, I mean, Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain, so you're free to just go to town. I know. Right now, my now the gears are turning. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I mean, the, the booklet is great. The mysteries are old-fashioned, very Arthur Conan Doyle-esque. <laughs> what I loved best is you read the mystery, then you go hunting for clues around the board. But if you're careful about reading the mystery, you can piece together the answer before you get to all the clues. So I love that about it. Whereas, you know, the game clue itself, you absolutely have to discover it on the board. If you're savvy, you pay attention and you use deductive reasoning, you can get to the answer. The case itself offers the players an opportunity to come up with a hypothesis before they can actually go out and gather the evidence to ultimately test their hypothesis. It's a nice little practice in sort of the scientific method. The clues are really great for taking those assumptions that you already had and kind of like confirming them or disproving them. Yeah. That's how science works, folks. (laughs) Science. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) There's one element in the game that kind of bothered me a little bit with the standard, quote, race element in the game where you're rolling a single die for movement. They roll a bunch of ones in a row. You can feel like, eh, not really getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just like Clue, too. It's the worst part of the game is where you get a lot less information than everybody else because your dice rolls are terrible. Well, we're so used to 2018 transportation. I mean, think about it. This was 1890 on the cobbles of London, and you're stumbling and fumbling over crates and horse manure (laughs) and all sorts of stuff. Sure, you would roll a one every once in a while as you're navigating some alley or street. Wow, Evan, I... I absolutely love that you just tied the problem with movement to the theme of the game. Thank you. I was just going to say that. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Bravo. Compare that to today, where if you're moving around a city like London or New York City, you'd never really have any delays in getting where you needed to go. <laughs> just a different set of them. I mean, you're rolling 2D, you're 2D6 these days, but back then it was 1D6 world. Yeah. Good day, sir. <laughs> Every time you pass somebody in the hall, I said good day. <laughs> blimey. Cold blimey. Blimey. Every time I'm wrong. Blimey. Blimey. <sighs> <laughs> the, the game could, I think, could have afforded two dice in there. Or maybe give people a choice whether to take an automatic three every turn or roll the dice to see if you can do better than that. Something like that. Sure, you could do that. Oh, the default number. 
Yeah. <laughs> I would always fall for rolling the die in that case, and it would be my fault. Right. Who are you kidding, Mike? I mean, it wouldn't change the game at all, because who's not going to roll the die? I mean, right, but at least the, the feeling would be different. You know, it's like, oh, now it's my fault that I screwed up, not the it, dice's fault. Now, there was another way besides rolling one on the die uh, that this game sort of had a slowdown mechanism is that players are able to, upon entering, or I should say, after they enter, upon leaving one of the 14 establishments, they're allowed to essentially lock the door behind them, prohibiting other players from using that particular entrance, unless unless they have a skeleton key. So these are the two kinds of cards. There's a Scotland Yard card, which allows you to lock doors upon exiting premises, but if a player has a skeleton key, they can get through that locked door. Mm-hmm. And everybody starts with one of each. It's a great way to stop others from getting a really juicy clue or from totally tricking everybody into unlocking <laughs> yeah. a door and wasting their key on nothing. It's like, oh, they just yeah. locked that. There must be yeah. a great clue there. <laughs> dimple, 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 dimple. <laughs> I did try I love- that during our game, but yeah, no one no one fell for that red herring. <laughs> yeah, well, no. part of this game is the meta game of bluffing people, going into a room and going, oh, that's a really good clue. Yeah, like you could open up the book, read your clue, and verbally say, no way, and then shut it <laughs> to try and fake everybody else out. Sure. If I took the full 30 seconds to write stuff on my notepad where it just said there was no clue in this room. I did the same yeah. thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah. I think, Mikey, you actually at one point read a clue and then stuck your hand up in the air yeah. like at the end I of cheer. Breakfast yeah. Club Champion Yay. Yeah. I'm like, it okay, was a that's... double reverse psychology move where it, there was actually a good clue in there. Yeah. <laughs> Oversold it a little there. That was. I did go there eventually. Like, oh, that was a great clue. Some of the clues were great. But some of them were like, if you got it, now you're thinking along a completely different piecemeal method to get to where you want. For some of the clues, they give you the exact answer almost, but it's split up into four different parts. And you'll get one one to two of the parts of the clue in different rooms. So you don't just figure it all at once. One of the clues I got was the sound a clock makes. And I was like, oh, tick. And then I, the other clue I got was a gelatin dessert. And of course, I was like, jello. And so the whole clue, <laughs> if I'd gotten the other two parts, was Roman Tick Jello C. <laughs> so romantic jealousy. Romantic jealousy. <laughs> the, the first one was Caesar was a blank, and I didn't right. come up with Roman. Oh, <laughs> Caesar <laughs> was an emperor, or Caesar. I came up with yeah, emperor, king, consul, general. You know, I'm so glad I didn't run into any of those weird clues because that would have completely misled me. I was a little impressed that they switched out the two clues into number one and number four coming together, and then the two middle ones coming together. Well, because you don't want a whole word. If it was Roman and Tick, I'd be romantic, and then I would have had the whole thing. I, all I had was Tick Jello, and I was like, I don't want Tick Jello. So that doesn't help. <laughs> tick Jello, get Yum. your fresh Tick Jello here. <laughs> <laughs> that would be something they sold in the streets in 1888. I am protein. Right. Rat on a stick. Yeah. Goes Rat. pairs well with tick jello. Uh, <laughs> Although it's a little late now, we have to give some people a spoiler alert for case number two. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whoops. yeah. Don't play case number two if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> How many cases come in the game, do we know? 20 cases come with the game. There's like a dozen other case books or something, right? Yeah, there's a ton of case books you can buy. If I was going to play this game, um, 
again and again, I would definitely want to fix the movement problem. But uh, um, other than that, I think it's a very playable game. Beats the heck out of Clue in that regard. It's way more interesting and skill-based. It looks like Clue feels a little like Clue, but it's not Clue. I mean, Clue so is much just better. so, oh yeah, it's, Clue is so far down there compared to this. And uh, the game board is so 70s. It's like this sketch art with like this blue ink over it and then these yellow squares for moving around. It's not, let's just say it's not the world's uh, sexiest board, no, but no. Yeah. <laughs> it does the job and it feels kind of nicely retro. Oh, totally retro. Almost illegible yeah. in some places, though. It's kind of hard to tell where the rooms are separated or how the arrows work sometimes. Like, it was kind of a mess, but honestly, the guts of this game are way better. And I kind of like the sketches. Joe, you have said that um, you actually used to play this game in second grade. Is that right? Uh, actually, I think I it might have been as late as fourth grade <laughs> you had this game no a friend of mine had it wow and you guys were deducing mysteries at fourth grade it's pretty good yeah, yeah joe's a true nerd <laughs> okay it's time to decide whether or not to dig up or bury 221 b baker street the master detective game ed how about you the game format feels a little bit dated but it's also highly nostalgic and their stories are what sells the game so i'll dig it up just for that and offer in a reasonable puzzle joe how about you if a murder happened in a hotel, well, wouldn't you check the hotel first? The pub's a great place for private rumors, the newspaper office for public ones. You never know exactly what game is afoot. Dig it up. Evan, how about you? It was fun to play with the right group of people who can add the role-playing element, such as yourselves. And it's much better than, say, a game like Clue. So in that context, it's definitely worth digging up. How about you, Mike? Although the physical quality of the game is a big mess, the heart of this game really holds up. I say definitely dig this up. Yes. Unlike uh, Head of the Class, this one is nostalgic in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I would happily go through all the mysteries in this game, though I would institute some house rules to improve the movement. Dig it up, old chum. Evan, where can you find it? Uh, the game's been in print for a while. There are lots of versions and reprintings, including the old ones from 1975. They're still out there, and you can find them for 10 bucks or even less on the Ebays and Etsys of the internet. If you have thoughts about 221 B Baker Street, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks or content from the show, including exclusive episodes for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show, and it's free. Join our chat on our Discord server, Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Follow us on your favorite social media. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Happy gaming, explorers! Woohoo! So long, Have folks. A wonderful, wonderful day. <laughs>